Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Chatsunami. My name's Satsunami and joining me in the grim darkness of the 41st millennium is none other than the one and only Robotic Battle Toaster. Omnissiah, bless your workings, good sir. In the grim darkness of the 41st millennium, there is only war. Yeah, how are you doing today, Toaster? I'm going to say Toaster, because Robotic Battle Toaster, as cool as it is, <laughs> I feel as if I'll, I'll start stumbling over it, and I don't want to offend the Omnissiah at this late stage. Toaster's perfectly fine, good sir. <laughs> I would have grabbed that on Twitch if I could, but unfortunately it was taken. No way, was it? Yeah, yeah. Battle Toaster and Toaster were both taken, and they weren't even taken by content creators. <sighs> So there goes my uh, Dark Heresy uh, nickname that I gathered. That's a shame. That is grim. Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> On a light channel, how are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm doing all right, thank you. I'm uh, really looking forward to our topic of discussion. I've been doing a little bit of boning up on my research to make sure I get my facts right and ready to plunge you into the darkness of the uh, 41st millennium. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was doing exactly the same today, looking up videos, looking up sources, saying, is that right? And, you know, the topic <laughs> we're going to talk about today is very, I think the right terms are loosey-goosey when it comes to some of its lore. Like, the general themes are there. So today we're going to be, indeed, continuing a very informal sub-series I like to call Living in the X-World. So, for example, Adam and I in previous episodes, we talked about the hellscape that Living in the Pokemon world would be. We talked about Living in the Legend of Zelda world with Andrew. And today I have brought you on to the show toaster to talk about a very grim setting indeed, that of course being the Warhammer 40k universe, which in all honesty I I think we could probably end the episode by just saying right now, it would be a hellscape. Thank you for watching. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, considering there is a literal hellscape in the universe that you have to fly through using only a small shield to keep you from the demons outside, yeah, we can just say hell on the inside, hell on the outside. Goodbye. Yeah, it's like a Doom game. (laughs) They're not as endearing. Where's the Doom guy? I mean, I wonder if he would fit into this universe, to be fair. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he was just trapped in the Realm of Souls, or the Warp as it's called, because there was a character called Kaldor Drago, who was a Grey Knight, who is trapped in there slaughtering demons daily. I wouldn't be surprised if every so often he just bumps shoulder to shoulder with a guy in green armour with a double-barrel shotgun and a pet rabbit. Wouldn't put it past the law. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't put it past them either, to be fair. Yeah, the 40k universe is a very strange one. It's one that some of you out there might have heard of, but for those of you who haven't heard of it, it is, and this is the very broadest way I can describe it, it's a science fantasy setting with super soldiers, orcs, elves, flesh eating monsters, cults, robots... Sorry, no offence, Toaster. And yeah, there's just like a whole lot of horrible, nasty grubblies out there. And is, of course, based on the, I want to say the 80s tabletop game. Well, funny enough, I think the basics for the Warhammer 40k universe, I think, were based on Dune, actually. Because oh. uh, if you look at the, uh, or the old Dune books, there are a lot of references that sound very Imperium. So I believe it's actually based on that and just slowly grew and grew its own legs and 
became what it is today, I believe. So what you're saying is they took Paul Atreides and just slapped power armor on them and said, go forth and yep. crusade the galaxy. This is what happens when the spice flows. You get intergalactic conflict. I mean, that would make <laughs> sense because this universe doesn't have very much in the way of technological innovation. You know, you've got no space Steve Jobs, you've got no Bill Gates. You've only got, and again, no offence, Tosa, because I know this is one of your favourite factions. You have the tech priests who are basically kind of hybrids between robots and, well, are they hybrids or are they just full-on machines at this point? The Adeptus Mechanicus teachings go on about the strength of steel and the superiority of artificial components over organic tissues. The aspirations of every tech priest is to replace as much of their matter as possible with artificial constructs apart from the brain. They modify the brain, but they cannot replace it because the technology to do so is considered either heretech or dark tech, which is a no-no. There have been tech priests that have done it, and they have been able to replicate emotions, but they are part of a thing called the Dark Mechanicum, which are the forces of the Omnisci that have fallen foul to the forces of chaos. But you speak of technological innovation. That happened in the 31st millennium, when humanity was really striving forward with the Emperor. And then dark things happened, bad things happened, and we entered an age of technological regression where secrets are lost and, well, worlds destroyed. I mean, things got very cyberpunky and not in the best way, I have to say. <laughs> to put it very, very nicely, yeah, things kind of took a dark turn. You know, like uh, as you said, there is like a whole other setting for the 30k universe, but of course the 40k one is definitely the more prevalent one. And before we go on, we actually deep dive into this vast world of, well, hellishness, to put it lightly. <laughs> How did you actually get into 40k? Oh, so my first interaction with 40k was one of my cousin's birthday parties. We went to Games Workshop HQ in Nottingham, and we got to play with a few random armies there. And as you'd expect, I got absolutely stomped on. And it was like, okay, right, I'm going to start. Yeah, this is a fun hobby. So I started playing the computer games first, actually. So Fire Warrior was the first one I played, which is where you play as a Tau infantryman fighting against the forces of the Imperium, then Dawn of War, and uh, at that point I started building up a Tau army, then Space Marine army, then an Ekron army, uh, then a Tyranid army, <laughs> and yeah, then I've just got a giant mountain of plastic shame somewhere hidden in the house. And now I've moved on to the glorious uh, Adeptus Mechanicus, because, well, Toast has got to have a hobby, right? Very true, very true. <laughs> What about yourself, good sir? This is going to sound like a PSA video. You know, the ones where it's like, don't do drugs, but instead of drugs, it's little plastic space marines. <laughs> and I always remember when I was younger, and I mean, like, far beyond, I learned about 40k, but I knew about Games Workshop, of course, the store that sells all these, or rather, I should say, the enablers <laughs> that yeah. fosters this interest. And <laughs> they used to sell a Lord of the Rings series, and I remember I used to get these magazines that you know those magazines where it's like you buy the first couple and they gave you like free models with them yeah i know the ones you're talking about and then you keep buying more oh yeah and I remember I had Gondor Knights, I had some Elves and things. Never really played the games, but I did paint up one or two of them. And I don't know why, but I never really had any friends who were into it at the time. So I, I kind of just pushed it to the side. I pursued other interests. It's not you, Games Workshop, it's me. And then 
I moved on from that period of my life, that dark shame. And then I met another friend who I'm still friends with this person to this day, but he, of course, was really into 40k. He reads the books, he's got all the models, and he was like, oh, do you want to come in and see what it's like? And I'm actually looking at it just now. He gave me a Space Marine model, and one night I went to visit him, and he was like, you know what, let's do some painting. Why don't you try it? So I was like, okay. I decided to paint it up as a ultramarine, which is just basically like gold and blue for anyone who doesn't know. Think of a person in power armour with almost Buzz Lightyear proportions where it's like (laughs) the very bulky armour and I have seen people paint their space marines like Buzz Lightyear. It's fantastic but you know it's like very bulky armour and everything. It it looks silly but at the same time it was more or less like a bonding experience as it were. It was like oh yeah let's get together, let's do this and yeah it just kind of spiralled from there. I went from that to buying some figures which to this day I still haven't painted. So I think my cup of tea in terms of 40k was the Imperial Guardsmen or the Astra Militarum and yeah, I painted them up in the very traditional satsu colours of orange and teal and you know, absolutely <laughs> love the wee guys but you know, that, that was my introduction and then I started to read more about the lore, the books, I played some of the games like Dawn of War and yeah, I've always had a soft spot for this franchise but have you ever seen those memes where it's the guy who says oh I wish I was transported to let's say the Harry Potter world it seems so magical and whimsical and then someone else is like oh I want to be transferred to the Pokemon world it looks so wonderful and then you've got the 40k (laughs) people in the corner saying nah we're good (laughs) it's like you're all right you keep the 41st millennium way over there But see without any further ado, will we just jump in and talk about, well, I suppose the 40,000 reasons that we probably shouldn't live in this universe? You only need one. <laughs> well, yeah. chaos. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Got it, anyone. Yeah, without any further ado, let's just jump in and we'll be right back after these transmissions. Welcome to Shatsunami, a variety podcast that discusses topics from gaming and films to anime and general interests. Previously on Shatsunami, we've analysed what makes a good horror game, conducted a retrospective on Pierce Brosnan's runs James Bond, and listened to us take deep dives into both the Sonic and Halo franchises. Also, if you're an anime fan, then don't forget to check us out on our sub-series, Chatsunani, where we dive into the world of anime. So far, we've reviewed things like Death Note, Princess Mononoke, and the hit Beyblade series. If that's so- sounds like your cup of tea then you can check us out on spotify itunes and all good podcast apps as always stay safe stay awesome and most importantly stay hydrated greetings my name is robotic battle toaster you can find me over on twitch and discord more social media platforms to follow I play a wide variety of both multiplayer and single-player games on PC. You can even pick what games I play over on my Discord channel. My channel is a place to chill out, nerd out over video games, and have some fun back-and-forth banter. I hope to see you there. Now, without any further ado, back to Chatsunami. Ta-ta! This episode is sponsored by Zencaster. If you're a podcaster that records remotely like me, then you'll know how challenging it can be to create the podcast you've always wanted. That's where Zencaster comes in. Before I met Zencaster, I was but a naive podcaster, recording on low-quality, one-track audio waves. (laughs) 
but with Zencaster, you can kiss those fears goodbye as they provide crystal clear audio and HD video. Plus, with our all-in-one podcasting suite, recording with guests is extremely simple. From local recordings to post-production, Zencaster has it all. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code CHATSUNAMI. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So, as I said at the very beginning, there are a multitude of factions that you can really align yourself with in the 40k universe. And I'm going to say, humanity isn't one of the good ones. You know, you think you would be safe with humanity because they have a very powerful army. They're a very militaristic society in this setting. But if you and I popped up and we ended up in any of the worlds that the Imperium of Man, which is what they're known as in this universe, if we appeared on any of those planets, chances are we would either be shot for heresy or (laughs) um, conscripted. (laughs) <laughs> the army, or as we said before, the Imperial Guard, to are like the bare basic foot soldiers. Is that right and sane? The Imperial Guard, or the Astra Militarum, to use the modern name for them, they are basically the iron fist of the Imperium. They are the main bulwark of their forces. You have the special forces like the Adeptus Astartes and you know, the Inquisitorial Agents that support, well, support the Imperium. But yeah, the main fighting force is just normal men and women, and uh, they are support by the Imperial Navy and they will be sent in their millions into like theatres of war just to like take over one section they like drown their enemies in bodies because in the grim darkness of the 41st millennium when the Imperium is made up of a million worlds human life is cheap it is worth virtually nothing I mean they turn people into servitors, which are semi-sentient, semi-self-aware automatons that can follow a basic set of instructions, but they are still people. They are people who have fallen out of political favour. They are prisoners. They are people who, you know, retreated from battle and weren't shot. It's dark. <laughs> oh, it's extremely. I know we were kind of joking and said, oh, it's grim, dark and everything, but literally if you play a game based in this universe or you read a book based in this universe, chances are the very first line, and I'm not even exaggerating, the very first line in that media will be, in the grim darkness of the 41st millennium there is only war. And they aren't kidding. I don't think I've ever read like a slice of life, happy, go lucky. You, you know like an anime where they have that filler episode. I don't think I've ever read anything like that in 40k. <laughs> yeah, if, if you have, it wasn't real. It was just Zinch messing with you. I mean, the closest I think I've come to that, and it's a book series I would highly recommend, is the Cyphus Kane series. Ah, good old Cyphus. Yeah, but then again, that's not really a happy-go-lucky story, is it? He keeps trying to avoid all the horrible situations, and the Emperor keeps throwing him into them. It's like, oh, you avoided this. Oh, yeah, congratulations. You stumbled across this, which is even worse. <laughs> Do you want to know a fun fact, actually? Aye. So, you know the sci-fi book that I wrote? Yeah, Canvas, yes. Did you know as well, on top of that, that the main character in that art tourist is actually based in Cypher's game? Wait, really? Does he have a Jürgen? Uh, 
Um, no, I never Aww. got the chance to put in a Jurgen. Technically, there are Jurgen S characters, <laughs> but I was reading it at the time, and he is one of the characters I based it off of because I was thinking a character who is relatively skilled in some fields, but keeps getting themselves into danger, and everybody thinks, "Oh, you're a hero," when he's actually just accidentally <laughs> stumbled into glory. And I, I don't know why I just love that character so much because for anyone who doesn't know, Cyphus Kane, he is a and apologies if I'm getting his name wrong there but he is a commissar who of course he is like one of the leaders of the regiments in the Imperial Guard the best way to describe it I think is Blackadder in space if you've seen Blackadder that, that's literally it it's like he stumbles into these situations and people praise him thinking oh he's a military genius and everything and don't get me wrong he gets the job done and he's adept at like sword fighting and things but he is not looking for glory or anything like in the very first book <laughs> he turns around to a group of imperial guards who are trapped in this planet and he's like I'll be right back and he steals a vehicle drives the hell away <laughs> thinking I'm getting off this planet because they are I think they're being sieged by I think it's Tyranids yep it's the Tyranids. Yeah, and he accidentally comes across the one Tyranid he, like, chops off its head because he gets forced into combat with it and it ends up everyone's like, oh, why were you so far away from the base and everything? And he's like, oh, it's because I was surveying the area. Of course, his, as you alluded to there, his psychic Jürgen, he, oh, he's just the best. But he thinks, oh, he's such a hero and he's the one that's always bailing Kane out of these situations. Yeah, it's always him in some way, shape or form contributing to his survival. That and his weapons. Just don't ask him for a sandwich. Oh yeah, that's true. And he smells apparently. Oh. So Cyphus <laughs> keeps repeating constantly. But going back to the Imperium, apologies for that side tangent. I just really love that book. I think it's Sandy Mitchell is yep. the writer. So yep. definitely go check that out. Fantastic. But yeah, it's pretty dark. As you said as well, you've got the Imperial Guard who are just the foot soldiers essentially the statistic for the battle. He was like, how many yeah. did you lose? Probably thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. But we took three metres of territory. Yeah, there are definitely parallels to things like the First World War as well, which I thought was quite cool, in the sense of, as you said, having three metres of ground conquered, and they're like, yes, we did it. It's like, how many men did we lose? It's like, ah, oh, that's not important, as all the bodies are behind them. There's a lot of different warfare that they have to adapt to and everything. Oh, yes. And that's the minimum. What I will say is, though, is that the Imperium of Man, as long as you serve the Emperor and everything, it's a very equal society <laughs> in the Guard. As long as you've got a last gun and you're pointing towards the heretics, you're probably fine. But yeah, it wouldn't be my ideal situation. When you say that if we disappear, if we appeared in the 40k universe, we'd get conscripted. Nah, mate, I'm going straight to Mars. See you, buddy. Yeah, I mean, you can come as well. You can be my Jürgen, my tech priest Jürgen. <laughs> You say that, but I actually, before I came on tonight, I actually saw a, and again, this is like spoilers to some of the shorts that I think it's, it's a Warhammer Plus. Mm -hmm. It's a subscription service. 
Warhammer Plus have uploaded recently about tech priests. Basically, the reason you should never be left alone with a tech priest, and now <laughs> I am afraid of tech priests. They are very logical, they're very calculated is maybe the wrong word, but they are very logical in their thinking, and they just want to get the mission done. Is that right in saying? You don't happen to have a robotic arm, do you, that can be used for something else, like a replacement leg joint for a Castellan battle automata? Oh, so you do know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking <laughs> oh. about. That poor, unfortunate guardsman. Oh, yeah. So, I've been saved. Yes, awesome. Everyone's retreated. I'm left alone. Okay, can I help? Yeah, your fighting prowess would add a insignificant margin to our success chances. However, your arm... arm. <laughs> Uh-oh, run, run! <laughs> yeah, that, that has officially turned me away from the Adeptus Mechanicus. <laughs> hey now, I wouldn't do that. Just a wee bit. I mean, I don't have robotic arms or anything yet, but if I did, <laughs> I, I would be sure as hell to be hiding under that Mars sand. <laughs> Just be like, nope, nope, nope. Depending on how many augmetics you had and what their quality is, you'd actually be better off. The only reason that she did that salvage operation was because she was hunting for a thing called Archaeotech, which, as that animation shows, is very ancient, very powerful technology that was a gold icon from the 31st millennium. So, as you saw from that animation, when it managed to completely rebuild that Castellan battle automata, one guardsman's life. But if it was a combat situation, a standard situation, and say you had a cybernetic leg, a cybernetic arm, and a bionic eye, yeah, the tech priest would make sure that you were okay, they would make sure you look after your gear and they'd help however you can because those are gifts from the Omnissiah. All I'm saying is I want a partner or an adult with me at all times. Like yeah, supervision. I'll be, there. <laughs> I'll be there to look after you. Supervision. Either that or I'd have to take you know, one of those spray bottles just like for cats. You go Anyway, I will rust you. I swear to God, I'll rust you. I thought you were going to go along the lines of spray can of silver paint and just paint yourself silver and go, yes, I am robot. Beep, boop. Oh, no, that's for my Necrons, but we'll get on to them. You, you think I'm joking, but they're the easiest models I've ever had to paint in my life. <laughs> when I was painting them, I watched uh, Terminator 2 whilst doing so. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it's very fitting. But before we go on to the nasty gribblies of the 41st millennium, of course, we've got the faction that we probably should address, the power armour in the room, that, of course, being the space marines who serve the, of course, to serve the Emperor of Mankind, to long story short, I'm going to very briefly summarise the Horus Heresy, if you don't mind me. <laughs> I will be judging and marking. So, long story short, there was this dude in the 31st millennium called the Emperor. He had <laughs> great psychic abilities, you know, he was doing his thing. All I'm saying is, if musicals were a thing, they would have Emperor Superstar or something like that going about. So, anyway, so my fanfiction <laughs> aside, they had the Emperor, of course, he was leading mankind into a golden age and everything, but he had some sons who were quite, you know, there were some bad eggs, and I'm using that term very variously. <laughs> One of which was called Horus. He wanted to overthrow his father. A minor domestic scuffle ensued, leading to the Emperor being put on life support for the next 10,000 years and having the souls of and this is something we looked up before we came on the episode, the souls of 1,000 psychics a day to sustain this massive skeleton on this golden throne. So, yeah, that's what they worship. There's also 
loads of in-between stuff, such as another son called Magnus, who hashtag Magnus done nothing wrong, uh-huh. <laughs> by uh-huh. trying to warn his... Uh, yeah, he tried to warn his dad about Horus. He was saying, oh, Horus has been a bit of a dick. He's like, oh no, you ruined my model train set. <laughs> What you do? I know it was like a web way to stop things. I love how you're underplaying these very key <laughs> important events. <laughs> I I told you it was really brief. Like we would be here for hours going over the Horus Heresy. But yeah, that's the reason. That's the person that they worship. For ten thousand years, humanity have worshipped this massive skeleton on a golden throne. And you know, I think he's technically still alive, but he is just nothing but skin and bones. He is. Uh still alive and he's effectively stopping a warp rift from appearing on Terra. But the really ironic thing is that as you say, he's been worshipped as a deity. He never wanted to be worshipped as a deity. One of the things he did back in the early days was abolish all religion because in his eyes it was holding people back. And the first guardsman that died, that you know, sacrificed himself to try and stop Horus from killing him, turned out to be I believe the last either the last bishop or a leader of a church who basically when the betrayal happened and Horus was confronting the emperor on his flagship, yeah this guardsman sacrificed himself to uh, try and keep the emperor safe. Oh what is his name again? The guy with titanic balls of steel. Uh-huh. I unfortunately cannot remember his name off the top of my head. Oh, Olanius Pius. Pius. Yeah, yeah that was it. Yeah, Olanius Pius. The thing I don't like about Olanius Pius is the fact that they kept, and I don't know what their current stance on it is just now, but the Games Workshop keep retconning it. So initially it was just a lone guardsman, and then it was like, oh, he was part of an immortal race or something. Then it was a custodies, then it was a space marine. And I feel as if the guardsman is the perfect thing you could use as, I don't want to say sacrificial lamb, but you know, they're like the perfect representation of humanity's fortitude against the grim darkness that was to come. Because as we said, he was just like a guardsman. He was like, you and I, you know, you're squishy. He was not going to survive against Horus because Horus is like an eight foot tall clad in power armor. He would have, ri- if I does rip him apart, you know, but let's yeah. not beat around the bush here, but he does. And you know, that causes the emperor to think, oh, I must save humanity by defeating my son. And that pushes him over the edge to, I guess, not kill his son, but, you know. Put him in the naughty corner. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Put him in the naughty warp, you know. Yeah, of course. So living on Terra, I have to admit, wouldn't be ideal, but neither would living on other worlds like, I don't know, a forge world or a hive world. Honestly, there's so many types of worlds. And you think, surely if you cycle through them all, there must be one. But see, unless you're an aristocrat or like a diplomat that somehow got very, very lucky and you're living a lavish lifestyle, you're you're part of the guard. There's no influencers in the 41st millennium. There's no niceties or nice professions. I don't think there's any bakers or anything like that, you know. I think the only place or the best place that you could possibly live in, you know, the idea of having a quiet life would be on something like an agri-world, which is basically a planet dedicated to farming because it's not a forge world. 
so you can actually breathe the air and you don't have to worry about all the pollutants and the planet being stripped for minerals. It's not a fortress world, so you don't have to worry about demonic invasions or anything else like that. If you do get pulled forward for enlistment, chances are it'll be for the PDF, which is called the Planetary Defense Force. They're like the home guard, or you might get tithed off to the Imperial Guard when that planet pays its tithes. But until then, the only threat that you really have is pirate raiders and orcs. But that's one type of world out of hive worlds, forge worlds, fortress worlds, death worlds. There are so many nasty places to live in the Imperium. Yeah, it's amazing. Thomas Cook should hire us to advertise for them because <laughs> the job we are doing to make these sound wonderful places it's like you know you call it a fortress world we call it a secure world yeah you call it a death world we call it a recluse world you know <laughs> just a wee bit of rebranding goes a long way call it a survivalist dream world exactly if you love games like Valheim Rust Daisy if you love games like that where you have to try and forage for survival you're gonna love these worlds you're gonna absolutely love them. Just don't send us there. We, we'll take your word for it. Just go. Take pictures. Yeah, exactly. So take pictures and send them back in the hole and or something. <laughs> but of course, going back to what we were saying before, you've got the space marines who are eight foot abominations clad in massive gigantic armour. And recently as well, you've got even taller marines called primaris marines, but they're pretty much the same. Just a wee bit bigger and bulkier and easier to paint. And their proportions are a bit more realistic. Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> other than yeah because I'm, I'm looking right now at like the old <laughs> models so to give context to anyone who hasn't played the tabletop game basically the space marines have the same proportions as like a guardsman so they both look exactly the same but in the lower they should technically be eight feet tall they should be really massive in comparison to these tiny squishy humans but then they brought out something called the primaris marines that are essentially just super super soldiers super marines yeah, which on the one hand is a weird thing to introduce into the lore, especially so late. But on the other hand, I do like the models a lot more. I just pretend they're space marines. I'm like, you know what? Just shove them in. They're, they're fantastic. Funny enough, I actually have an answer for why they introduced them. So in the recent lore of the 40k universe, there's this thing called the Great Rift. So Cadia has fallen and it turns out the uh, thing that was keeping the Eye of Terror from expanding were these Necron pylons that were effectively limiting the build-up of warp energy, and every time Abaddon went on a crusade that people thought had failed, he was just destroying the pylons on a planet and then retreating back. And so on his 13th one, I believe it was, he succeeded. He destroyed Cadia, which was the last group of pylons, and this rift spread across the galaxy and split the Imperium in half. Terra was nearly cut off from the Imperium, and I believe for six months it was cut off by warp storms, and and uh, Rabuti Gilliman came back and effectively had an audience with the Emperor. He worked with, and this is a this is a cut down brief version, so I do apologise, but he started working with this tech priest who skirts the borders between Maltech heretic and you know accepted tech called Belisarius Crawl. They needed to improve upon the gene seed that was being used for existing space marines to remove defects. For example, the Blood Angels, they have a thing called the, I think it's the Red Rage, which is where they all feel the death of their Primarch father, Sanguinius, who was killed by Horus. You've got the Space Wolves, who are slowly turning more feral. And so the Primaris Marines were basically a reset button to that to make the gene seed reusable 
people, including the legions that were lost, you know, the legions that turned traitor, they were able to make samples of this and upgrade them to Primaris Marines. But Robute Gilliman has not given approval for those to be used yet because he just doesn't trust them. So, armed with this new, improved legion, folded into his Ultramarines chapter, he started, I believe it's the Indomitus Crusade, to basically try and retake the Imperium in the light so he can eventually look at pushing down Galactic South through the Rift to try and help the Dark Imperium. So that's why the Primaris Marines were made, to restock old legions. I was going to say, it's always nice when, you know, you run out of your shop and, and then you do like a weekly shop after mm-hmm. and a cosmic level. Yeah, we're running low on soldiers. Can we get some more, please? Can we get some of the good ones? Oh, okay, just this once, <laughs> you know. We have good soldiers at home. <laughs> I know the good soldiers at home, just the tiny. <laughs> <laughs> the Imperial Guardsmen. Wait, what? You kind of alluded to that as well. The fact that the Geese super soldiers and then you've got the super, super soldiers via the Primaris Marines. The fact that they are the best of the best of humanity. You know, not everybody can be a space marine, but those that are and are created from, as you said, that gene seed from one of the Primarchs is basically, it's not just one of the Emperor's sons. Am I right in saying? Yes, and the Emperor's sons were also experiments. So you've got the Emperor, then you've got the Emperor's sons, and then you've got all their lovely children into what are known as, as you said, legions or chapters. So as you said, you've got the Space Wolves, who, as the name suggests, they're about, they like to LARP as wolves, I suppose. Okay, they don't like to LARP as wolves, for the most part. Very heavy Norse culture. Is there not like that one bit of lore where some of them turn into wolves? Oh, yes. If the gene seed goes wrong? Yeah, if the gene seed gets corrupted, they do start showing more canine tendencies, or canine traits, I guess would be more correct. And then you've got the Salamanders, who are a personal favourite of mine, who are basically burnt, like their whole skin's burnt, but they wear like this really cool dragon armour and everything. As you said, you've got the Blood Angels, you've got the Ultramarines, which don't worry, we'll talk about one day. The Ultramarines, you might have seen them. If you have a passing interest in 40k, you'll know the Ultramarines. They are the space marines that are clad in blue armour. They've got the upside down Omega symbol on the pauldron. Yeah, they're the poster childs, aren't they? They seem as if they're very much the kind of base standard before you get into the weird and wacky side of the fandom. And I have to admit, I was laughing because I remember ages ago being at Games Workshop and they were starting to introduce, because obviously despite the setting, there are a lot of teenagers and maybe some kids that actually play this game. So they were trying to make it more appealing to them through storybooks. Did you see this? Storybooks? No, no, I don't think I did. Oh, it's teenagers or something, but oh, one's a copister, one's a tech priest. I was like, oh my god, you're getting sacrificed <laughs> whatever deity you come across. There is no way that they can make the 41st millennium kid-friendly, surely. No. But yeah, apparently it's a thing. It's dark and it's brutal because, yeah, we talk about the space marines like they're unstoppable super soldiers, but they can be killed just as easily by, like, an orc, and then that orc can be killed by something else. Everything is, well, one hit point away from death, as it were. Apart from the guardsmen, they're half a hit point away from death, bless them. I'm just double-checking to see I haven't made this up in my head. And as far as I can see, it's called Warhammer Adventures. Warhammer Adventures? I have not heard of that. So I'm looking at the cover. One person looks like a child version of a tech priest. What on earth am I looking at, Satsu? (laughs) Are you looking at it just now? What the heck am I looking at? (laughs) 
See, I didn't make it up. Yeah, you've got Warhammer Adventures, Secrets of the Tau, Attack of the Necron, City of Lights. Why is there a tiny space marine with them? What's going on? There's a tiny space marine? Yeah, in one of the pictures I'm looking at, there's you know, these kids are standing up at either head height or slightly taller than an ultramarine. Oh my god. What the heck is going on? That's, um, <laughs> that's the actual... <laughs> That's the actual scale of, see, the 40k, like the old uh, Space Marine models. That's like the scale they've tried to match up with these kids. Why is that child emulating that they've got a robotic arm? Oh, God, they've just doodled all over themselves with circuitry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Omnisai, be praised. <laughs> Do you see what I mean, though? <laughs> How? In all the episodes, I know we've only done two before, but in all the episodes where we talk about, you know, living in these particular worlds, yeah, I, I'm not, like, exaggerating or trying to be edgy, like, all oh, these worlds are dark and grim and you wouldn't survive. I genuinely mean <laughs> There are some horrors out here. That actually takes us on perfectly to what nasty gribblies that you do encounter out there, because, of course, we mentioned before, we have the Necrons, who are the basically Terminators of the world. Terminators meet Egyptians, essentially. Uh, I liked them best when they didn't talk back and they just shot you. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably the motto of the Imperium. <laughs> I liked it better when they didn't talk back to me. When the killer robots start showing emotions and feelings, uh, no. <laughs> Well, then again, that's what happened with Terminator Dark Fate. I mean, uh. <laughs> it's happened before. Something, something, the future's not set. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but of course, you've got them, if you're lucky, because I feel as if they're probably some of the less egregious ones you could encounter. Unless you're on their world. Well, yeah, then you get a Gears of War situation. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Get off my pyramids and you look down and go, what pyramids? Oh, oh, whoops, I'm sorry. Please don't kill me. Please don't blast me into green jelly, please. <laughs> so, of course, you've got them. And speaking of green jelly, you've, of course, got one of the, probably the funnest antagonists, that, of course, being the orcs, who speak in a very cockney kind of way. And they are a lot of fun. Their whole thing is they're just mushroom people, essentially. And it's basically once they invade your planet, that's it. There's ruined salvaging it. You can get it down to acceptable levels of infestation, but you can't really get rid of them as much, as far as I know. No, no, you are you are correct, because as soon as you kill an orc, it starts releasing spores, and as you say, once they're infected, unless you thoroughly purge the planet, you are not going to get rid of them. So you will have regular outbreaks of effectively feral orcs, until you're incredibly unlucky and a warband drops down to reunite them, then you've got more problems. And if you've ever played the, because I know you and I have played it, but if you play the Space Marine 40k game, <laughs> then you play as a Space Marine that has like a very meaty gun called a bolter and the bolter essentially fires what is like a mini artillery round essentially through all of these orcs the orcs are mainly the antagonists don't get me wrong I know there's another one that we will get onto but these orcs are just relentless they keep coming and coming and there's small ones there's big ones there's of course the war chief as you said who is just this massive orc adorned and all of this Mad Max paraphernalia is the best way I 
can describe it. You know, he's got like the engines coming out his back. He's got the metal mask on. It's really cool. He's all shiny and chrome. Space Marine. Space yeah, they're Marine. <laughs> they're so cool. They are a lot of fun. But the ones that are kind of less fun are, you might have heard us say, oh, there's elves in this world. They're probably one of the worst races to be captured by, I want to say. See, this is the thing. If we were living in the 40k world, I feel as if you and I would definitely be hiding in fear if we saw anything with a pointy ear. It depends. If they're wearing white armour, it's okay. If they're wearing dark armour with whips, chains and anything else like that, then yeah, just put that last gun to your head right now. <laughs> yeah, you might as well, because here's the thing that makes me a bit worried when kids are reading <laughs> Warhammer Adventure books and thinking, gee willikers, I wish I was in this universe to explore. No, you don't, kid. No, you don't. <laughs> the Dark Eldar are quite possibly one of the, probably one of the more edgy. Sadomasochistic space elves. Essentially. There's no other way to describe them. They basically, they revel in torture, and I'm pretty sure they had a very how to put this in family friendly terms they had a very intense rumpy pumpy session (laughs) that caused a chaos god to get spawned am i right in saying that um are you sure you're not writing these kids books i'm gonna have to that's right (laughs) you know games workshop call me but but yeah the elder got to the point where the uh population density grew to a high enough level that yes there was a mass psychic event and the creature they them she he the prince of pleasure and excess slanesh was formed and a large chunk of the elder population just died and what's left split into two factions the elder and the dark elder and the elder believe that they can somehow survive and maybe rebuild their ancient empire and the Dark Elder, they are more corrupted by Slanesh than they'd like to believe. I think the best way to describe it is, I think it's from Community, I could be wrong, but you know that gif of the guy who goes out to get pizza and then he comes back in and suddenly everything's on fire? Yeah. And he's just left horrified holding the pizza. That's pretty much what the Eldar <laughs> versus Dark Elder are like. The Eldar go out for pizza, they come back and they're like, what the f- hell happened here? And they're like, um, Aurora Borealis. <laughs> like, I don't know. What did you do to the dining room? We turned it into a torture pit. Why did you turn it into a torture pit? What's happened to the kitchen? Oh, we're using that for blood sacrifices. Wait, where are you getting the blood? Wait, where are the neighbours? Where are the neighbours? And then the torture pit. Fell in the pit. <laughs> <laughs> they're in the hole. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm glad you got that oh, reference, okay. by the way. <laughs> I was like, Phew, um, Of course, yeah, you've got the Eldar, which is a whole like can of worms in itself. You've got the Tyranids, as we mentioned, who are if there's any Halo fans out there, well, maybe not akin to the Flood, but they're very much a beast hive mind, kind of. In fact, you know what they're more like? They're more like the bugs from Starship Troopers. They're more like the Arachnids. They're kind of... More sentient, I would say. Well, there are only like key parts of it that are sentient and those are the hive creatures that are, what are they called? Synapse creatures. They're the ones that can pass on the will of the hive mind, which is, basically, it's a perpetual advert for Just Eat and other takeaway services. It's just yeah, okay, there's a planet there. Yeah, anyone else want something from it? Because they are basically space locusts that will evolve and adapt to anything you throw at them and whenever you lose forces they will eat the biomass of the forces you have lost, take them back to their biodigestibles and use that biomass to make more tyranids. So for everyone you lose, they get more. And they adapt, evolve, uh, improvise and overcome in the worst ways possible. So what you're saying is they recycle. Yes, yeah, they are the ultimate recycle 
recyclers. They're very good at reducing carbon emissions. However, they are very bad at... Well, they're very bad for the environment because they also eat the environment. Yeah, that's a downside. We're going to have to work on that. <laughs> Chalk up some <laughs> ideas. You know, brainstorm a wee bit and think... Big can of bug spray? Yeah, exactly. Bug spray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could just imagine like a Death Star-sized bug spray. That would be amazing. Well, the funny thing is, there was an Inquisitor. I believe it was Cryptman. I might be wrong. But he had an idea of throwing a giant I think it was an orbital Prometheum refinery which is fuel at this hive fleet and it detonated and it did a lot of damage to the fleet so he repeated the trick and threw another one in there the Tyranids learned caught it and threw it back and yes there was much devastation to be had by all there so they're smart they're definitely not as mindless as I think the Imperium think they are because that is kind of the thing with the Imperium we think for a society that is very militaristic they would learn a thing or two and don't get me wrong some do that's all about the dogma oh that that's a whole other section to go in oh yeah we'll leave that one for another day <laughs> but i know what you mean yeah if it fails try 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 again you filthy heretic the imperium has this thing called the imperial truth and anything that deviates from the imperial truth stops existing so if you have fought orcs and you are saying orcs are really cunning and strong and yeah the, the tactical imperialis is rubbish and it does wait commissar why are you pointing that bolter at me oh yeah i won't go into too much detail we'll save that for another episode because i can talk for england on that the imperium are very backwards thinking in a lot of ways for legal reasons that's a joke commissar please put down your bolter <laughs> I'll see you in the penal legions my friend I'm just looking as the red panda lawyer slowly lifting his bolter <laughs> wait 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 why did you give the red panda lawyer a bolter look in my defence it was a good idea at the time now I don't know what time it was but <laughs> it was a good time that's all I'm saying yeah here hold this oh my god he's got a gun <laughs> but speaking of a faction and this is where we get into very controversial territory with the 40k fandom the opposite of the imperium some might say i know what you're gonna say yep it is the blue skins themselves Uh, the tau empire they were described to me when i got into as space weeps (laughs) so people who were i kid you not like people obsessed with mech suits and looking cool and sleek and a lot of people just for context for any non-fans out there the reason a lot of people don't like them is one of the main reasons anyway is that they don't really fit the same aesthetic so with the imperium of man they are very gothic in their art design you know they fight against creatures that are very gritty and grim and just really horrible you know there are things that would fit into a gothic setting you've got demons you've got elves you've got torture chambers you've got the orcs and everything but then the tau come along and it's like baby's first empire almost which and i know i'm kind of underselling them but did you feel the same when you heard about the Tau. So my first interaction with the Tau was the Fire Warrior computer game. So that was my first interaction where basically the way the game starts is there's this Tau border world with the Imperium and it gets attacked by some space marines from an undesignated chapter. The Ethereal, which is basically a Tau leader, gets captured and you are part of a military force deployed to recover the leader because the Tau, they live or die by their ethereals. Like, um, the morale damage alone if an ethereal were to die is monumental. And so you're fighting Imperial Guard through the trenches on ships and you eventually fight Space Marines. And then there's a wonderful twist and so, spoiler alert, yeah, skip this section if you don't want to hear spoilers for a game that hasn't been made in what, 20 years? Turns out the Inquisitor that launched the raid is corrupted by Chaos and the reason he did that was to try and sow 
a war between the Imperium and the Tau, and to learn to see if the Tau can be corrupted by the forces of chaos, which, as we know now because of the law, they can't, because they don't really possess a presence in the warp. The Tau, I see them as basically, as you say, it's a fledgling empire, so they're rather naive, they are all too trusting, all too quickly, but their technological edge that they have is amazing. Like, they've got these things called broadside battle suits, which have got railguns that can punch through a lot of Imperial armor, but at the same time, they don't have the numbers that the Imperial Guard, the Titans, and the Adeptus Astartes have. Correct me if I'm wrong with this fact, but is it not true that the Tau used to be like a very primitive species, and then a warp storm flew through the planet, and then suddenly it like aged them up significantly? See, I've heard multiple things. I've heard that idea. I've also heard that the Ethereals effectively uplifted them, and that's why they're held in such high regard. But off the top of my head, I don't know which is canon or not. All I know is that they are a very naive race because they're so young. But that would actually make sense if they were forcefully, rapidly evolved. Again, it goes back to my point of the fact that the 40k lore is very loosey-goosey. It's not very sturdy, I suppose is the right word, you know. It's not... It's in flux. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to be a solid thing. They keep changing bits and pieces, especially with Alanius Pius, which we brought up earlier as well. You know, they replace that, they replace certain origin stories and things that, you know, it has to constantly evolve, you know, which is all fair and good, but it kind of makes it hard to pinpoint certain things, especially with the Tau, because I was going to say, it almost reminds me of, and again, I'm going to piss off a lot of 40k fans, <laughs> apologies, but do you remember that episode of The Simpsons, and I'm going way back, but do you remember the episodes, it was a Treehouse of Horror, where Lisa accidentally grows a civilised society based off of her tooth? I vaguely recall that, and don't they have a self-destructive war, or something along those lines? Yeah, because it's like, she puts her tooth into like this, I think it's like a thing of cola. It's um, a petri cola. dish, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a petri dish, but she puts like some cola, she puts something into it, but I can't remember what it is, but... An inanimate carbon rod. Oh, hell, the rod. <laughs> but they end up evolving from this very primitive society, and this petri dish, to this civilised society that has, you know, all these warships and things, and they're very futuristic, and that's almost what it reminds me of, if that is the core canon. <laughs> it's like just a massive time skip in a couple of hours, because one of the backstories I did here, and again, I don't know if this is still canon, but it was like a, maybe it was an Imperial ship, or a trading ship, or something going by, and they saw they were very primitive, and then the warp storm came, and then left, and all of a sudden, oh no, there's a society there that's fully armed, very futuristic and everything, and now they are a threat to the Imperium. And as you said, you brought up a very good point that this is a very young race, so they are more willing to reach the handout to anyone who wants to join them. Bad idea. Bad idea. For the listeners at home, you might think, oh, the Tau must be really good. But to borrow a phrase from, you know the phrase I'm going to say, from Hot Fuzz, everything you do for the Tau Empire is for the the greater greater good. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course, lots of humans will go there, but if you want to keep up your life there, you have to do what you're best at. So one of the examples I saw was there's certain breeds of Tau that are very good because of their bone density and things like that. They're very good at flying and operating the warships. But if the pilot jumped off one day and was like, oh, I want to open up a bakery, then the ethereals essentially, or the council or whatever, would go, no, that's not for the greater 
good get back in that spaceship. They're not the best, and I have heard rumours, I don't know if this is imperial propaganda, but I have heard rumours that if you join them as a human, then they castrate you. But I don't know if this is introduced after the fact that people were saying, oh, the tower are too nice, so they're like, okay, we'll throw in some castration into the war. It could also just be imperial propaganda that is mentioned and spread on border worlds with the Tau Empire. Although those border worlds get really fortified after the recent border skirmishes that have happened, especially in the wake of High Fleet. Oh no, I can't remember which High Fleet it was, but there was a segment of a fleet that drifted between Imperial and Tau-controlled worlds, and both sides had said, oh yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll help you defend the world. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll help look after you and support you if the Tyranids come. But both sides had their fingers crossed behind their back, because of course, why would they ring the dinner bell? Politics-wise, it is very much like Game of Thrones in a way, in the sense that everybody is crossing their fingers, hoping that the other side doesn't engage first. And obviously if they do, they have no real issues, do they, with pulling the trigger yeah. and being like, oh well, he's a heretic, blow up the planet. Yeah. And you know, they've even, like the Imperium especially, they've got protocols called the Exterminatus, where they just blow up a planet, that's it, just bam, press a button, that's it. You can no longer use this world. That world you called home? Nah. Gone. Yeah, they do that in extreme cases when either the Tyranids are approaching and they effectively try and make a buffer so they can't replenish their stock, as it were. So they will just turn worlds to ash because then there's no biomass for them to harvest and their fleets can get whittled down. Or if those wonderful Trixie powers of chaos start popping up left, right and centre, then they have to stop it from spreading. And I feel as if that's the perfect place to jump on to the final antagonist. I mean, there are my their antagonists, you know. There's like the gene stealers as well, and there's all the necromunda stuff and things, but... Before you jump onto Chaos, that actually leads very nicely to this Warhammer Adventure comic page that I've been looking at... (laughs) Which you saw? <laughs> oh, I, I've just I've had this one loaded up, but I've been trying to find a way to talk about it, but without you know rapidly derailing it. And since we're talking about chaos, so this one is called the Plague of the Nurglings. Now, Nurgle is the chaos god of life, of death, pestilence, decay, and he is a it is a rather jolly creature but it makes every single disease in existence everything and it will make diseases that oh yeah you've found a cure for it this one time but now that it's adapted taken the cure that you have made and made it worse it's basically like superbugs amped up to 111 and they've broken the dial and they have made a kids comic about a group of children fighting off against the forces of chaos against the forces of Nurgle specifically which make diseases and poxies and all sorts of horrible things that make space marines double take. What on earth have they done with this adventures comic? <laughs> I just, I, looking at the cover, they're in for a really bad time. They're just surrounded by nerglings, and they they have there aren't any corpses slain there yet. But we will see. Oh my god, they fight against orcs as well. How? How are these kids surviving? Wait, Necrons? Gene Stealers, Tau, Necrons, yeah, Nurgle, as you said. Oh, my brain. (laughs) There's a whole series here, by the way. For anyone who doesn't believe me, look up Warhammer Adventures. (laughs) Honestly, it is. I haven't read them personally, so, like, I'm going to give them the benefit (laughs) of the doubt and assume that maybe there's some. I don't want to say credibility, it's for kids, obviously, but, like, (laughs) there's some 
some kind of believability that they shoot something and then run away, but oh, it seems like the last franchise you would... They've made the Gene Stealers look cartoony. I mean, to be fair, they were always cartoony. Okay, though. but the Gene Stealer is a deep dive time. The Gene Stealers are a subversive branch of the Tyranid organism that infects people with a piece of DNA code that slowly subverts them and all previous generations, or sorry, all subsequent generations into Gene Stealer hybrids. Why have they made it cartoony? <laughs> That's like putting googly eyes on a xenomorph. <laughs> well, would it help? Would it help if I said that the audiobook was read by David Tennant, according to Amazon? There's an audiobook about it? Yeah, the Gene Stealer book for Warhammer Adventures oh. is read by David Tennant. And oh. one of the other ones, which I think... Oh, right, okay, that's more Age of Sigmar. That's read by Billy Piper. Wait, hold on. They're in the Age of Sigmar as well? Yeah, well, it's a big company. Yeah. Oh, man, I hope they don't run into Skaven. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, the Age of Sigmar is like the fantasy equivalent. Don't worry, one day we will get into that. Yes, yes, we just talk, discuss them, yes. But going back to chaos, of course, and the wonderful, wonderful chaosness that follows, this is the reason, this is probably the main reason why you don't want to be in the 40K universe. I mean, obviously, other than the totalitarian Imperium of Man, we have the naive castrating Tau, we've got the aggressive fungus with the orcs, we've got the torturous Dark Elves, we've got the... Angry cockroaches. Angry cockroaches, thank you. And yeah, we've got the space Egyptians. So (laughs) you might think, how can it get any worse than this? How can it possibly get any worse than that? And going back to something we're talking about at the very beginning, demons. Demons, that, that is literally all I can say about this. It is basically the opposite of mankind. It is the darker versions, the darker impulses. And see, on the one hand, see if this was a series that did dive into those themes a lot more. Like, don't get me wrong, there's a wealth of fiction books that do talk about these. And that's cool. Don't get me wrong, that is really cool. But for a setting like 40k, most of them come across as just demons, really. Like, literal demons and demons in power. Power armor, god demons. <laughs> As you alluded to before, you've got Slanesh, which is the horrible, horrible should not be in, so much so that I think Games Workshop are trying to retcon them in a way. See, I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that because they already retconned one chaos god out of existence. Did they? Yes, uh, Malal. Uh, he was the god of chaos undivided, and basically he was seen as a threat by the uh, other four pantheons of chaos, I guess you could say, and was disposed of in the lore. The other one then, other than Slanesh, are Nurgle, who, as you said, he's the pestilence god. You've got Korn, who is the, I guess, the embodiment of war. Mm-hmm. Because it is like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, isn't it? Aye. Roughly. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think there was, like, a horseman of the apocalypse that had an orgy in terms <laughs> of a horse. Okay, I, I will say that. There's the one... apocalypse horseman of horny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, well, if he's riding a unicorn, Aww. that's like a whole other story. But, but um... Panda, shoot him, shoot him! <laughs> Shoot her. You've listened to these episodes. You knew what you were getting yourself into. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you've got Corn, who is like the embodiment of war and everything, and he has the Crusades and all of that jazz. You've got Zeech, who you mentioned at the very beginning. He is like more a calculating mastermind. Yeah, you've just you've got all these different gods that are very bizarre. They try to warp humanity. They try to influence people at their lowest points. But as far as I 
remember, and I could be totally wrong in this, it's only really humanity that fall to chaos. Like, I've never, and again, I could be totally wrong in this, but I've never seen a Tau chaos. The reason why Tau don't fall, or I don't believe they fall, is because they don't have a presence in the warp. Tyranids can't, because they're just bio-organic machines that don't think for themselves unless a hive mind is guiding them. You've got the Dark Elder, which have already fallen, and you've got the Orcs, which worship their own deities, but the Chaos Forces call them abhorrence because they can't get corrupted by the forces of chaos either. So yeah, humanity is effectively the main feeding source of the forces of chaos. We are their main personifiers in the realm of souls, which is well, the warp. All your joys, your fears, your hatreds, your phobias, your pleasures in life, your cunning, conniving schemes, your sense of self-honor and self-worth. Everything that makes you you feeds a demon or a chaos deity of some variety in the warp, consciously or unconsciously. So you have got humanity, which is an empire of a million worlds, with billions and billions of people basically keeping the realm of souls well populated in everything, emotions and thoughts. So yeah, we're very easily corrupted. I was going to say, next time you go out and you know, you think oh, I'm going to have a great time, I'm going to be proud of myself, I'm going to be Slanesh. envious. Like, you're going to be proud of yourself or whatever, commit a sin in the tradition sense just think that sin that's going to feed a hungry hungry demon in the warp and I mean he's got his tablecloth out he's got his knife and fork he's like oh what, what kind of sin am I going to eat today oh pride oh lust oh bottle of souls on the left please ah oh, that's a good vintage yes now all I'm saying is that would make probably a more suitable entry into chaos for kids rather than you know because you can dress it up like McDonald's you know how they have their own chaos gods they've got like Ronald McDonald Grimace and all of that but just dress them up as chaos gods and that's it you've got a new Warhammer adventure series and thank you, Satsu. If we are in the 40k universe, you've just made a whole new plethora of chaos gods. Thank you very much. <laughs> now we've got a nightmarish clown creature that's not an Eldar. <laughs> I never thought about creating a clown. <laughs> God damn it, you're part of the problem. <laughs> Oh god, don't you start going zinch on me now. I mean, if any if any of these factions want to reach out to us, you know. No us. There is no us. You. <laughs> no chats in the army PR department, no. It's just you and the warp. Yep. <laughs> you stare into the warp and sometimes it stares back. The corruption, yeah, I'm pulling us back on topic. <laughs> yeah, please Go do, please away, do, scary yeah. Ronald McDonald nightmare fuel. Indeed you are not loving it, but sorry. It! That's what it is! Okay, right, I'm gonna detour back just in case it starts climbing through my window. The horrible thing about Chaos Corruption is how subtle it is. In one of the stories I'm listening to, this Primaris Marine is fighting through these Death Guard, which are space marines that have fallen to the forces of Nurgle, and he's slaughtering them, and he's, his body is flooding with the the adrenaline and uh, the chemicals that his suit provides, or his combat armor provides, and he's really getting into the fight. And it isn't until, basically, the Primaris equivalent of a librarian walks over after the engagement and says, you need to calm yourself and you need to rein yourself in because you are risking corruption. And the Primaris Marine went, I'm not going to fall to chaos. I've fought chaos before. Like, yes, exactly. But you don't know whose corruption you're going to fall under. We're fighting the forces of Nurgle, but you were showing the signs of corn. And the Primaris Marine was like, ah, ah, yeah. Huh. 
And so he had to basically rein in his bloodlust for the rest of the fight. And that's how dangerous it is. You could be doing something really laudable, and then it would just get slowly twisted over time. The 40k universe could definitely be summarised as the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Every single faction, maybe bar the Tyranids, they know what they're doing, but every faction seems to think they're doing what is best for their faction. Whereas Chaos, I mean, as the name implies, Chaos is the in-between between these morals and ideals and things and you're completely right it is just so easy for them to twist and no pun intended warp <laughs> funny 40k joke twist and warp these ideals and these thoughts because you see a lot of and there's a lot of memes for 40k where you see a oh, lot yeah. of people who are like yeah they immediately shoot someone for reading heretical material or maybe even touching a heretical trinket or something like that and on the one hand that's obviously ridiculous you think oh why, why would you just shoot a man you know is a life not as meaningful in the 41st millennium but at the same time if you think about it and again I'm not obviously justifying that but this is the world where literally you could be having a cup of tea just sitting minding your own business and then a portal opens up and all of these hell demons pour in because your friend Jim I don't know decided to read a book about chaos and now the world's screwed because of Jim thanks Jim you ruined my life you can see why people are a little bit touchy when it comes to chaos in particular because at least with the other factions they're a little bit more predictable like usually they send in space marines for the orcs the orcs are very they're more like barbarians necrons they have a way of fighting the dark eldar are sneaky but they still have their tactics with chaos it's kind of up in the air because first of all you think jesus christ it's chaos and then you have to factor in but what chaos am i fighting yeah am i fighting the smelly one? Am I fighting the rage-induced one? Am I fighting the sneaky one with the Thousand Sons who ironically enough, they're also space Egyptians. Yep, the rubrics. There's a lot of space Egyptians in this universe. Huh, I didn't think of that. I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> I'm sensing a big theme here, but yeah, I mean, they are cool and that also reminds me that I need to paint those up. Thank you for that. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, speaking of intentions, check thy Discord, good sir, and that effectively sums up the Tyranid's intentions as you were talking about, which is we've finally deciphered the thought patterns of the Tyranid hive mind and it's just a uh, picture of Pac-Man going across the galaxy. That is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I'm reading that myself and that is absolutely amazing. That is so true. Yeah, they eat and they eat and they eat. What I will say is the 40k fandom as a whole are so on point. See, when it comes to memes, mm-hmm. they are just so on top of everything. It's amazing. On that note, though, to summarise our thoughts really on this again on the 40,000 reasons why you shouldn't live in this universe yeah have you you got any final thoughts Yes, I got a few thoughts, and I'd like to end on a little extract from the 40k, one of the books that I read. But uh, yeah, my final thought is that even in the 41st millennium, in the 40k universe, you think that, you know, living in the Imperium is bad and everything, and that eventually at some point you can look forward to the sweet release of death. Um, You know, that's it, that's gone. No, Booker's in the 40k universe. Yes, you do have a soul, and where does it go when you die? It goes to the warp. So when you die, 
everything that makes up you, suddenly goes to a literal hellscape. Basically, yeah, someone rings the dinner bell at that demon table that Satsu was talking about after he's picked his vintage wine of fallen souls, and you're the finger food, as it were. Out of curiosity, what happens to, like, a chaos demon that gets killed? Does he get recycled into the warp? Yes. If he is killed in the material realm or banished, he just reappears back in the warp. The only way that that can effectively, that cycle can be broken, there was one instance of it where this blade, that was an incredibly corruptive, chaotic blade, I can't remember the name of it, unfortunately, but the Emperor, he got his best custodian guard, I think it was the leader of the custodian guards, his right-hand man, and he plunged the sword into his chest and told him to run into the chaos portal, so that way the sword would get banished to the warp, but the demon would not be freed from the sword. And so that poor, poor custodian guard is stuck in the warp with a blade through him. A blade that is corrupted to hell and back that he's literally in that's whispering to him for all eternity. That sounds delightful. Aye. On that note, would you mind if I finish up with this extract? Absolutely. Go for it. Hopefully I won't fumble my words, but this sums up brilliantly what you were talking about in regards to the Imperial Guard and how they are just humans. You would laugh, monster, but let me remind you. Within that weak sack of meat and bone, uncared for by his god and wept for by none, beats the heart of a man. A human heart that carries with it the strength and courage of all mankind. Within that sack of meat festooned with thin armour and weapons only powerful in numbers, beats the heart of a man, and for ten thousand years the hearts of men have beaten strongly in defiance of your so-called ruinous powers. For ten thousand years the hearts of men have stood, united against a galaxy that despises them for no reason save that they have the audacity to not lay down and die. For ten thousand years your black crusades have been pushed back, beaten down and made a mockery of by weak sacks of flesh with cheap weapons and disposable equipment. For that weak sack of flesh that you so gleefully mock is no super soldier, no immortal warrior, no creature cursed by chaos like you. He is a man, an Imperial Guardsman drawn from some forgotten corner of the Imperium to fight for his species and for the safety of the people he loves. He is a factory worker, a farmer, a storekeeper, a father, a brother, and a son. A mere man, and against creatures like you, teeming and numberless, powered by the very wills of thirsting gods, he holds the line, and he has held the line for ten thousand years. So, what's your excuse, monster? Man, I got into that. (laughs) And if you would like to buy Toaster's audiobook, you can buy it on Amazon.com forward. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was a great reading, to be fair. And it does summarise how, I suppose, human this world seems. And that, that sounds like a really weird thing to say after saying, oh, there's orcs, there's elves, and there's all of these horrible monsters. And at the end of the day, it is people trying to get by, essentially, as a human that make up this world that try to yeah, basically defend themselves against the forces of evil and even against their own kind because there are a lot of things that obviously we haven't touched on. There's like hundreds and hundreds of things we could touch on like for example the Grey Knights who you might think oh they're on our side but apparently if you see a Grey Knight which is a space moving chapter their sole purpose is to purge demons and chaos and they're supposed to purge you as a whole so if you see them going by you 
like, oh dear, no, that, this isn't going to end well for me. You've got the Adeptus Serratus, who are basically the female version of Space Marines, kind of. They are brilliant technicality. Yes, they, they really are. But again, that's a story for another <laughs> day. You've got just so much in this vast universe. But I think I speak for both of us when I say that this is probably not the universe you want to settle down in. This is not the universe that you want to say, yeah, I'll, I'll have a holiday home here. I'll have a couple of cabins in like an agricultural world or maybe a nice wee bungalow in a fortress world. I'll take the Star Trek universe anytime. Ah, old Trek or new Trek? Oh, I'm thinking of Patrick Stewart era. It's got to be. Got to be old Trek. I'll take that, because I was going to say, if you were going for new Trek... Well, I say that, but then there's the Borg, which that would actually make a very good next episode. <laughs> so, Uh-oh. What have I done? <laughs> yeah. On that note, something something resistance is futile for legal reasons. That's a joke. No, jokes aside, Toaster, thank you so much for joining me in the 41st millennium to talk about this very weird and wonderful franchise. It's been an absolute pleasure and you always take me to the nicest of hostile war zones. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, next time we'll venture through the neutral zone and I'm sure there'll be no problems with other types of elves in space. I swear, if you set me up for the Kobayashi Maru, I'm going to be very upset. Well, I mean, that, that's neither here nor there. And as you're breaking up, <laughs> as I try to disconnect the call, where can these lovely listeners at home find your content? So, at the moment, I am solely on Twitter. You can find me under the name Robotic Battle Toaster, and you can probably guess the icon is that of a toaster with a purity seal on it. And I've also got a Discord page as well, but you can find that on the Twitch page. I stream MechWarrior and Satisfactory at the moment, but I'll be doing, I guess, random streams that people can pick in the Discord. So that's future content to look forward to. I would just echo that. Definitely go check out Toaster. He is a fantastic streamer, fantastic friend, and all in all, a, dare I say, a rising star to be a bit cheesy. Wait, are we talking about me here? Are you sure? Well, I hope so, unless there's a gene stealer behind you. I did wonder where those claws came from. I wondered where my trousers went. My Levi's! And if you want to check out more content from ourselves, then you can check out our website, podpage.com forward slash chatsanami. I also want to shout out our fantastic patrons. Of course, yourself, Toaster, <laughs> is one of them. And Sonia as well. Thank you both so much for, yeah, supporting the channel. And without any further ado thank you all so so much for listening to this episode stay safe stay awesome stay hydrated and don't go committing any heresy beep boop